0: You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So glad to have you all here. I want to say welcome. I'm, uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And so welcome to you. I want to say happy Mother's Day to mothers in the the house today. And so we're so thankful for you and your tireless efforts. And so we just want you to know that you're loved and appreciated. And so may that be felt by you deeply today. All right. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Matthew 5, 33. Now we've been in a, in a, in a, a bit of a mini-series where Jesus is referencing the culture of the day and Jewish people that had been learned and taught the Old Testament and what they kind of knew as what's religiously normative, what the normal setting was based on how they read the Old Testament, and he wants to adjust some things because he is God and he has the authority to do that. And so we've been talking about anger, we've been talking about lust, we've been talking about divorce, remarriage, adultery, and today we're talking about truth-telling, truth-telling. Now we have a saying in our culture, right? It's very short. It says, talk is cheap right talk is cheap and we all know what that means right it's like your words aren't worth very much if the deeds don't follow and support those words right talk is cheap your actions are maybe more expensive your your actions are really where the value is talk is cheap So if your words are completely aligned with your deeds and there's no discrepancy there, we would say that's a person of integrity, right? But if someone doesn't have a track record of following through, we would say, talk is cheap. I guess if they tell me something, we'll just kind of wait and see. Well, Jesus is speaking to this today in our text. He's speaking to his first followers 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to us today today. Through his word And he wants us to think about, what's your reputation? Do you have a reputation of being trustworthy with your words? What's your track record? Do you have to dress it all up to get people to believe you, Or is just a simple "Yeah, I'm telling you the truth. Is that, does that suffice? Look at the text here, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, so it's the same formula we've seen, right? That you've heard it said, meaning I know this is your religious context. This is kind of normative in your culture. This is how you guys handle yourselves. This is what's, what's going on. And even shaped by what the Old Testament says, And in their culture, giving oaths or swearing, like like swearing on the Bible, that kind of swearing, uh, or giving a vow, all kind of the same idea, okay? It was very, very uh, normal in their culture because the Old Testament speaks to this a lot. Let me give you some examples on the screen. This is what God said in the Old Testament, Numbers 30 30 verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord, he must not break his word. Deuteronomy 23, 21, if you make a vow to the Lord, do not be slow to pay it. Leviticus 19, 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. So this was their context. Giving oaths, vowing to do something, um, a pledge, you know, a lot of different ways to think of it. That was very common for them. Jesus is speaking into this culture. If something was said to be true and you vowed it or you made an oath that it was true, it had to be true. If you said you were going to do something and you swore by it, you had to do it. Now, all of this seems like a life of integrity, right? So what's the, what's the problem? Why would Jesus want to amend it? Because he's about to amend it a little bit. Look at verse 34, right at the beginning. It says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Verse 34, but I say to you, so he's about to make some amendments here. Now, why would he want to do that? Because keeping your word with an oath and being consistent, that's a good thing, right? Well, here's again where we have to kind of climb into the world of the text and understand historically what was going on. And here's kind of the idea. He's speaking to a culture that had been perverted by the religious leadership. The religious leadership, the scribes and the Pharisees, Remember way back a few verses ago, Jesus said, you know what? If you want to be in my kingdom, if you want to be a part of where I rule and reign, your righteousness is going to have to exceed that of the religious elite of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. You're going to have to be more righteous than them. And so this is kind of what was going on. See, the religious leaders were perverting this. And they had all this, this system of technicalities. When it comes to oath-keeping, when it comes to making a vow, they had all these ways that they could get around it. So they would say, I'm making an oath right now, but kind of like my fingers are crossed behind my back, so it doesn't really hold. And they had these linguistic, technical ways of doing it. So like, if you were, just one example from their context, if you swore by the temple, like, see this temple right here? As true as that temple is right there, standing my words are as true as that. I'm swearing by the temple. If you did that, it wasn't binding, according to them. But here's it comes to technicality. If you swore by the gold that was in the temple, as sure as the temple has a bunch of gold in it, you can trust my words. If you did it like that, in that form, with those exact words, then that was binding. They had systems like this. And, and, and the whole point is that the system was corrupt. And Jesus is, is, is speaking to that. He's saying, you guys have a system that's just verbal gymnastics so that you can guys can get your way. And so that if you give an oath, it can have the appearance of being trustworthy, but deep down you know that it's not really that trustworthy. That was rampant in their culture from the religious leaders. And there's historical documents that show us this as we look into Jewish history. So Jesus is basically saying in our text, no matter what, no matter what you swear by, here's what I want you to see. God is involved in that. God is involved in that. Take a look at verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So in their context, they would would say something like, you know, I can swear by heaven, but since I didn't say the exact word, God, God, then I'm not really bound by the Lord because I'm swearing by something that God's not really involved in. But Jesus is saying, no, God's really involved in heaven. Or they might say, I'm gonna swear by the, that the earth is round and as sure as the earth, well, they probably didn't know that at that time. But um, just for example, go with the example. As sure as the, as the earth is round, my word is true. Well, I didn't say the word God. I'm not really swearing to God. And Jesus says, no, look at the earth. The earth is related to the Lord. It's his footstool, verse 35, see it? So he's saying, no, no, you're not, you don't get by on a technicality here. The Lord, you're invoking the Lord no matter what. Like by Jerusalem. I might not say the word Jerusalem. Maybe I will. And I'm assuming like if I say the word Jerusalem, then God's not really involved in that. And Jesus says, no, no, God is involved because it's the city of the great king. You're still invoking the, 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 the weight of the Lord in this oath that you're taking. And he says, finally, don't take an Oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, I'm just swearing by my own head. Like, what's God got to do with that? Well, he's sovereign. He made you. You're powerless to change one hair of your head, make it white or black. You can't do that. God's involved in that. So there was this whole system of technicalities That if you don't bring God into the picture, then your oath isn't really binding. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way it works. God is involved in everything. You can't have just this easy way out. Jesus is saying that's crazy. So he's confronting his culture of the day. I want you to see that, okay? But now, I want you to see this last verse. This is the point for Jesus. And this is really what I think he wants to land on his first hearers and us. Verse 37. Saying all that historical background aside, here's the the thing, guys. Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. What does that mean? I remember reading this Bible verse as a kid. I didn't know what that meant. And just up until recently, this kind of landed on me. You guys are probably way smarter than me and have always understood this, but I didn't get this. Um, What it means, though, is this. You shouldn't need to swear by anything because you're known to be a person of integrity. You're known that your words are true. When you say it, it's true. If it's not true, you wouldn't have said it, right? Like, if I ask my son to mow the lawn, if I ask my son to mow the lawn, and then I follow up with him and I say, son, did you mow the lawn? He shouldn't have to say, well, Dad, um, get the Bible, and then I will, like, lay my hand on it, and yes, Dad, I mowed the lawn. Or he shouldn't have to look at me and go, Dad, I swear to God that I mowed the lawn. As God is my witness, I mowed this lawn, Dad. Like, he shouldn't have to do that. And he doesn't, because I trust him. So if he says that he mowed the lawn, I believe him, Right? That's all I should need. Yeah, yeah, dad, I did. You understand what I'm saying? Your yes should be yes. You shouldn't need more. You shouldn't need some whole system of oaths and vows and gather the witnesses and get the signed documents because you're known for being trustworthy. That's God's kingdom people. That's what Jesus is saying. But he takes it a step further. He ramps up. The weight of his words. You see it here? How how does he do that? Verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. And here's how he describes it. Anything more than this comes from evil or comes from the evil one. Now, whoa, Jesus, you're kind of ramping things up here a little bit. Is it really that big of a deal? Well, let's think about this for a second. Why would integrity with your words be such a big deal that the opposite of that would be just called straight up evil or from the evil one? Why would that be? Well, we learn in John chapter 8 that Jesus describes Satan in a very colorful way. He says, Satan is the father of lies. So if you have to swear, To get people to believe you, take an oath or a vow to get people to believe you, what does that indicate about your normal way of doing business? What does that indicate about your normal way of handling yourself? See, if I need a vow and an oath and swear to God, that might indicate that my normal mode of operation, my everyday words, just aren't trustworthy. Does that make sense? See, if I don't speak the truth all the time, that might be a way that I'm aligning myself with the devil. He's the father of lies, Jesus says. He's the originator of lies. He's the dad of liars. He's got kids that are liars. You don't want to be, you don't want to look like one of his kids. But see, if, you, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, if you trusted in Jesus to forgive you of your sin because you've turned from it in repentance and turned by faith towards Jesus, then you know for a fact that you're united with Christ. Christ lives in you and you live in him. And you're one of the children of the Father, your heavenly Father. And so this is then who you are. Listen to who God says that he is. Numbers 23, 19, he says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The point is your father is consistent. Your father does not lie. There is no shadow in him, no shadow of turning in your father. And if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then God is your father as much as the father is the father to the son. Right? So then this is who you are. This is who you are. You're a truth teller like your father. Followers of Jesus are truth tellers. Citizens of his kingdom are truth tellers all the time. So your need to to swear, to make an oath, to make a vow, it just kind of goes away. Yes or no is enough. Your word is so reliable that you shouldn't need more than that. Now. Here's a way that I got humbled really quick this week when it, came, when it comes to this. Maybe some of you can join me in this. This is for those of you in the room that are parents. This, this humbled me in a hurry this week. Let's say I say to my kids, if you guys clean your room and do a really good job, after that, we're going to go get ice cream. Okay? Now, sometimes, maybe parents, you can relate, what's the next response? The next response is, dad, do you promise? Now, why would they need to ask that? Why would they need to say, say dad, do you promise? Like, why would they need a more weight? Like, what, that's what that is, like a more weighty commitment. Oh, I promised. So now that kind of bears more weight, right? Well, maybe it's because for me, my words haven't always been perfectly trustworthy in the past. Maybe I made that promise, oh, and then something came up. Or maybe I made that promise and, oh, I just forgot. See, when they say, do you promise, it indicates that maybe I haven't always been consistent with my words. They need a little extra. Right? So Jesus is saying to them then, to us now, you don't need a Bible to swear on. You shouldn't need to sign contracts that are legally binding. You shouldn't need to say, y- yes, honey, I promise to take you to get ice cream. Now, sadly, this is the world we live in, right? Because sin has marred our existence. Yeah, it's helpful sometimes to sign a contract, especially with someone you don't know. They don't know you. You don't know them. So that, 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 that can be a form of grace, right? A sign of protection. But Jesus is saying, for my people in my kingdom... If you say you're one of my people, if you're following me, you know the truth sets you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you align yourself to him so your yes is yes and your no is no, period. So we trust each other in God's community, right? Because we all have a track record of reliability. So this is a simple concept this morning, a simple concept. But let's ask ourselves this, how can we grow in these areas? Yes, yes, no, no, period. How can we be known as collectively as a church that we're a community of truth tellers? Like I ran into that person, I know they go to the vine, and I'm in a business dealing with them, I don't have any concern. It might not be everything that I want, but I know they're not going to try to screw me over. Right? They're going to at least tell me the truth. Like that's what we want to be known for. Right? We're not sleazy, hiding things. Right? We're a a community of people. That's what Jesus is saying. You guys are a community of people known for your verbal integrity. Don't have to wonder about those vine people. Like they're trustworthy. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. So here's the question. If I'm tempted to fudge on the truth, if I'm tempted to maybe water it down a little bit, why might that be the case? Or just not water it down, just flat out lie. Why might that be the case? Let's let's, let's be a little introspective here this morning. Let's, Let's ask some questions of our hearts. I think there's probably a thousand reasons, but let me just give you two that I think jump off the page for me right off the bat. Number one, I might be tempted towards people-pleasing. I might be tempted towards people-pleasing. Number two, I might just be straight-up selfish. People-pleasing, selfishness. Let's let's look at those first, people-pleasing. So maybe I'm a people-pleaser. I just just don't want to make anybody upset. And we live in a world where if you're going to tell the truth, it's not always comfortable, right? And telling the truth, You know that that might land on ears in a way that's not very favorable. And so, then what are you tempted to do? If you love yourself more than the truth, and you just want to make sure everybody's happy and we don't ever ruffle any feathers, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to water it down, right? We're tempted to make it a little easier to swallow. Now, why would this be a problem? what happens is it it will eventually, it'll probably take a while, but it will eventually erode at trust in your relationships if you're a people pleaser. Now, why would that, let me me paint a picture for you. Let's say um, I'm married to my wife for 21 years, and let's say she has the opportunity to observe me. You know, you marry someone for 21 years, you observe them a lot, right? And she observes me quite frequently, In situations where I might be tempted to not tell the truth because it's going to make someone uncomfortable, okay? And so I'm in a situation, she's with me, and I can tell the truth. I know that's going to be a hard truth for someone to to hear, to stomach, and so what do I do? I just kind of water it down a little bit. I make it easier. I don't tell the truth all the way. And over the years, she observes me doing this. Well, then what's going to happen when, when her and I get in a scenario where she knows that I need to tell her something that's not easy to swallow? But she's thinking, can I trust what he's saying to me right now? Is he just trying to please me or is he actually telling me the truth? See how people-pleasing, a track record of people-pleasing would erode at trust in our marriage? So fear of man, people-pleasing, needing people to like you at all costs, that's going to erode a trust in your relationships. It's dangerous. So let me ask you this. Are there ways that fearing people's opinions, that you're fearing people's opinions so much that we're tempted to lie so that we don't upset anyone? Now, you can swing to the other side. The pendulum swings both ways, right? You could just blast people. Like, I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm a soldier for the truth, so I'm just going to blast people, right? Now, that's not what we're talking about. Like, you can, you can screw up on either side, right? But what I'm saying is, as long as you come with gentleness and respect and humility, if someone that you're speaking to won't receive what you're saying, that's not on you. Like, you're free to tell the truth. No matter matter what the response is. So if I'm tempted to fudge on the truth, why might might that be the case? Well, it might be because I'm I'm really loving myself more than the other person. Because ultimately, fudging on the truth, dumbing it down, making it easier to swallow, doesn't help them. The truth is what sets you free. So you're really asking them to stay enslaved. See that? You're just loving yourself. It feels good in the moment. Long-term, it won't ever pay off. So number one, I might be a people-pleaser. Number two, I just might be just straight-up selfish, right? Sometimes telling the truth is going to make you uncomfortable, right? If I tell the truth, it's going to cost me, and I just don't want to be uncomfortable. The cliche is often true, right? The truth hurts, So let me just give you an example from our life right now. So right now, we're in the process of selling our house. And the uncomfortable truth is found on an inspection report, right? We had our house inspected, and the truth comes back. There are things wrong with our house. And now we're in negotiations with the people that want to buy our house. Uh, We're not moving. Uh, I'm sorry. We're not moving away from Madison. We're just moving across town. Sorry, I didn't give that disclaimer. Um, Yeah, so we're just moving across town. Someone's buying our house, and, um, and so we're in negotiations now. And so what, what could we be tempted to do? Because they're asking for a significant amount of money, uh, the offer to be decreased by a significant amount of money based on things that are wrong with our house. Now, there's ways that you could get around that, right? There's ways that we could just simply lie. Why? Because we're uncomfortable. The, 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 the five-digit number that they want makes me uncomfortable right? But think about it. That's just straight up selfish. Because if I were in their shoes, I wouldn't want to be treated that way, right? And and Jesus says that, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to treat people the way that you want to be treated. That's what love is. But I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, what about me? My bank account, my bottom line, it's just selfishness. And that might tempt me to lie. That might tempt me to be deceptive in how we're managing our business dealings. And there's ways you can hide things in a home inspection and all this nonsense, right? So at its core, selfishness could tempt us to lie. Fearing people, raw selfishness. And then can any of us relate to this? I, I can. I think all of us probably, in big ways or small, have room for repentance. We've all done it. All of us in the room right now. So where's the hope when you hear these words from Jesus? And you know we're all in one way or the other guilty. Let me tell you a story about a guy in the Bible that was, he had some problems with his mouth. He had a problem with his yes being yes and his no being no. This guy's name is Peter. He was one of Jesus' most intimate followers. James, John, and Peter. Those were Jesus' three guys. And Jesus was in the final hours of his life and he was being questioned by the religious authorities. He was being tortured and he was a few hours away from crucifixion. And Jesus is witnessing all this, I'm sorry, uh, Peter is witnessing all of this go down and he's kind of witnessing from a distance seeing Jesus questioned, tortured and he wants to know what's gonna happen because Jesus is his guy. That's my guy, Peter says. And as he's observing from a distance, there's a, a young girl comes to him and says, hey, you're with Jesus. I know you're one of his guys. And he says, no, 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 it's not true. She says, yeah, I can tell by the way you talk, your accent. Yeah, you're Galilean, right? You're with Jesus, right? And he's like, no, no, it's not true. She insists that, that he was with Jesus. And he, here's what he does. He swears. He calls down an oath, basically saying, if, if, you know, like, if what I'm saying is not true, may God curse me. That's a form of oath-taking. That's a form of a vow. That's a heavy deal because he was fearful. He was selfish. Jesus is giving his life right now for Peter and all of us. And Peter is not understanding that and rather pursuing selfishness. He was scared. We can relate to that. Well, after Jesus is crucified, Peter comes to his senses, and he is just wrecked with guilt. Wrecked with conviction. And praise God that Jesus rises from the dead for Peter's sake. And Jesus comes to Peter, appears to Peter. And the Bible doesn't have any record of what Jesus said to Peter until one day they meet on the beach. And Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Do you love me? Peter says, You know I love you. He says, Feed my sheep, meaning I want you to be a leader of my people. He reinstates Peter to leadership. He doesn't come and whack Peter because of his selfishness, because of his people pleasing, because of his lying and lack of integrity with his words. No, he reinstates him in grace. Isn't that amazing? See, there's grace for Peter. If there was grace for Peter in his lack of integrity with his words, there can be grace for us. Right? I want you to feel the grace of God for Peter and the grace of God for you. Like Jesus died for Peter's lying tongue. Jesus died for ours. And all the the shades of gray of the ways that we are not pursuing integrity with our words. Jesus died for that. And when you come to him in repentance, he's going to reinstate you and give you the hope of grace, the hope that he will be with you forever and reinstate you to get off the floor and walk with him. Jesus died to free our mouths, to always tell the truth. and This grace was costly. So let's stand in awe of this Jesus that can reinstate Peter, that can reinstate you. And let's allow this grace to change our lives, change our words, change the tone that is set as we, as we evolve into a community that's more and more known as people that their yes is yes and their no is no. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word that is true. Father, thank you that you remind us that there's joy and peace and life in having integrity with our words. Lord, would you help us? We need help with this. Peter needs such help. We need help. Or would you help us be known for this? That the truth will set us free so we speak the truth. That we do it with gentleness and respect, but we do it with honesty. We do it with wisdom. We don't